Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome to Talking Timber. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Dr. John J. Garland, a professional engineer who has spent a lot of his career working on logger safety. In the meantime, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation, who are both promoting sound technical forest education through projects like this podcast. This year, the Pacific Forest Foundation awarded $30,000 in scholarships. To find out more about the organization, visit www.pacificforestfoundation.org. We also want to thank our sponsors, Timberwest Magazine. This publication is packed with valuable and useful job stories on successful mechanized harvesting, plus wood processing techniques. For more information, visit www.forestnet.com. Okay, now let's hear from Dr. Garland. I'm uh, Dr. John J. Garland, professional engineer, uh, having 33 years at Oregon State University as the uh, timber harvesting extension specialist. And in that capacity, I worked uh, to improve logging safety for the forest industry. Um, so after you retired, did you keep working within the safety folks there? Yes, indeed. I uh, am on a faculty of, of the uh, Pacific Northwest Safety and Health uh, Agricultural Center at the University of Washington, where we try to improve safety for agriculture, forestry, and fishing industries. Oh, okay. Uh, great. And um, in that capacity, what do you do there? Well, I, I represent the forestry sector, and I uh, look at the technologies that are available uh, to improve safety in the forestry sector. Okay, and so I know that um, things have improved drastically over the years. Can you give us a little insight? Yeah, starting back uh, in the 1970s, when I was a forest engineer for Warhauser, we uh, developed hydraulic rams for tipping timber uh, in the direction we wanted to go. And the problem was, is that the uh, timber would fall on the slopes, it would be unstable, or it would uh, fall, uh, roll down a hill a great distance, okay. and it was dangerous. And so we looked for ways to solve the problem. And the, the hydraulic lift was what you came up with then? The hydraulic rams were, were things that we came up with and uh, they worked, but they were too heavy. And Ray Sylvie uh, of the uh, Roseburg area developed a better system and that spread throughout the industry so that people could use hydraulic rams to tip timber the way they wanted it to go. The next thing was grapple yarding. I mean, uh, grapples are allowed uh, the machines to pick up the logs rather than choker setters. Mm -hmm. And that was great. Uh, but the idea was uh, if you couldn't see them, uh, then it was a problem. So yeah. in, the early, uh, in the early 80s, we tried TV, uh, like the kind of uh, 
you know, black and white things you had for security. Yeah, yeah. And it didn't work. Oh, what, what so, happened? Well, uh, we put them on a tripod and the uh, yarder operators could use them, uh, but it wasn't great. But oh. now we have high definition television on mm -hmm. the uh, yarders uh, and the grapple machines so that they can see exactly where the logs are. And we also see that they can use infrared at night to pick up the logs. So all of that reduced the hazards of being a choker setter. And are they, do you see some more things happening on the forefront for those guys? It's pretty good where they're at, but there mm -hmm. are other developments. Um, early on, self-releasing chokers seemed like an idea that made sense. Mm -hmm. And so that made it possible to uh, bring the uh, yarding turn as a landing and release the chokers without having to put the chaser at risk. Okay. And that, that has continued, it's continued to work. There are many different types of, uh, of systems available and uh, it's much safer. Okay. And did, um, as this kind of kind of got in, spurts or it's going to be a, a slow evolution over time with these things or you know it it depends on the development of the technology mm -hmm. for example synthetic rope uh i tried in the uh 1980s with nylon and it didn't work and uh it was a uh, rope that stretched and that made when it broke it was a uh, dangerous situation. Then high molecular weight polyethylene came into play for ropes. They were first used in fishing and people uh, began using them in logging. And with a series of Oregon OSHA uh, grants, I studied that technology and saw it had great possibilities for logging. And did it get introduced there pretty quickly or? Nothing as quickly. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to wait what everybody else does. Yeah. So, and what happens is that uh, the uh, synthetic rope was first used for uh, rigging applications, uh, uh, guy lines and the like, and made good sense. But the most important uh, contribution was we studied it for log trucking wrappers okay. and the log trucking wrappers was a major hit because we had older drivers who couldn't throw the wrappers over the truck anymore okay. with synthetic rope they could and it prolonged their logging uh, careers oh nice and so you've you've seen a lot of these things evolve. Have you you I assume you've seen injuries go down over the years? Well, yeah, we have. For example, on the wrappers, when we first tried them out, we were gonna test the residual strength and the drivers wouldn't let have let us have them back. They said, <laughs> no, no way you're getting these from us. So we had to supply them with substitutes and <laughs> then we could test the residual 
individual strength. And it was uh, kind of amazing uh, because they knew what the value was. And yeah. subsequently, if you look on the highways going through Oregon, Washington or wherever, you'll see these uh, yellow wrappers on the trucks. Those are mm -hmm. synthetic rope. Oh, nice, okay. And uh, with the uh, synthetic wrappers, we found out that uh, they were so important that there were other uses. And okay. in current day's situation, synthetic rope is being used by drones. Oh, cool. Uh, the drones use lightweight synthetic rope to carry a line across the canyon to a tail hold. And then uh, that allows them to and fly back. Mm -hmm. That allows them to use steel rope uh, to be able to bring rigging and in, and lines back to the uh, tail hole. Okay. What, what that accomplishes is that we have hook tenders who are fine guys, but they're older. Mm -hmm. And their knees and back have trouble transporting 180 pounds of of uh steel wire rope across the canyon and yeah. this eliminates that hazard uh, it saves the uh health and safety of the hook tenders and that's really important oh yeah it seems like yeah it prolonged their career a little bit too there we can't replace the knowledge they have in their heads okay we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress. The Pacific Logging Congress is going to hold its annual conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, November 6th through the 9th. There will be great networking opportunities and dynamic speakers. To find out more or to register, visit www.pacificloggingcongress.org. Okay, back to Dr. Garland and tethered logging in New Zealand. Now, uh, now the other aspect of this mm -hmm. is uh, uh, tethered logging equipment. I've worked uh, on research and technology from New Zealand mm -hmm. that allows machines to be tethered at the top of the hill uh, to be able to work on slopes as great as 100% plus, usually 80% or so, but... Mm -hmm. uh, these machines then can be stable on the slopes and conduct felling and shovel logging operations uh, that could not have been done before. Now, when that happens, that means that we save the lives of timber fallers who would normally be in that position cutting timber on steep slopes. Yeah. For every uh, hour of uh, the tethered log machines, uh, they're four times more productive than timber fallers. That means we save the hourly uh, exposure to timber fallers, and that has resulted, resulted in the saving of lives. We have data for that part of it, but mm -hmm. it's still going on. So did you say that the uh, machine one hour there is four hours to a timber faller? Is that about it? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's four times as productive 
and they don't have to be on the slope. They don't have to be exposed to yeah. uh, widow makers or other hazards. And that's, that's crucial. Now, let me be clear. There are areas where these machines can operate. When they have to be cut by hand fallers, it's much more dangerous. And we have to be careful, very careful in that regard. So has there been other sort of safety uh, improvements for just the folks who do have to hand fall? In the 1989-90, I spent a year in Europe studying the mechanized harvesting operations there. Okay. And I brought back the uh, technologies to the US. That was at the same time that, that uh, the reduction in tree size was suitable for uh, mechanized operations. Okay. If we can put people in a harvester and a forwarder, uh, they're much safer than anything on the ground. And that has taken place. And there's many, many forwarder and harvester operations in small timber in both the U.S. and in Oregon. So, so for safety-wise, the feller, the forwarders and stuff, are they becoming more and more safe? Or I, I don't know for what aspects, whether they tip over or whatever things well, are dangerous with a forward. They're safe to begin with, and they're also used with tethered operations, so they're operating on steeper slopes okay. safely. Yep. Now, the only thing with the uh, mechanized operations, tethered logging and the like, is there are some hazards associated with maintenance. Now, okay. some of those maintenance uh, events, uh, the accidents are horrific, but they should be able to be uh, controlled uh, with proper uh, safety precautions, but um, people fall, uh, people get caught, and it's not a good situation, but it's much less than having uh, cutters, yarder uh, crews, and others being exposed for the operation. Okay. No, that makes sense. What what kind of, are they ma doing maintenance actually on the slope? Is that it or? No, it's it's, it's just the, sometimes maintenance people don't follow the procedures and uh, when they don't, there can be tragedy. So do you see the, um, are, are you guys working on any specific safety things right now or researching anything right at the moment? Uh, I'm not involved with research at OSU at the moment, uh, but there are uh, things that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, from my work in other countries, uh, there are very simple things that could make improvements. Mm -hmm. uh, we have lots of situations uh, in which the rigging crew is uh, exposed and sometimes fatally so, to uh, logs rolling and mm -hmm. trees rolling and things of that kind from the operation. In a country like Chile, I, I've worked there for many years. I helped them improve from a safety record uh, from the uh, 1940s in the US to a safety record equivalent to ours in the state of Oregon, or oh. even better. But one of the things is that uh, the supervisor uh, works with a rigging crew 
to assign a position where they move to in a clear before the yarding crew yards the logs. Okay. When that happens, there are very few accidents. In here in Oregon, we mm -hmm. let the rigging slinger decide when safe is enough. And that uh, that is a bad judgment in many cases and people get killed. Oh. So, so things as simple as that are, are things that the Oregon industry, the Northwest industry needs to think about. So basically looking at some best practices from around the world, not just in your own backyard. Well, for sure. Did you, um, is the, the, is Oregon in these other places researching now or, or? Well, we have a forest activities code committee in Oregon okay. that has great uh, expertise. And we're always looking for ways that we can find ways to improve safety. And uh, that group then can uh, consider the ideas and put them into regulation. And so that's, that's happening now. A major problem we have in Oregon a major problem we have in Oregon now is that there are heat and smoke rules that were promulgated by politics rather than science. And that's uh, creating many problems for the logging industry. So for you, I mean, you've had a massive career here. Um, besides the uh, synthetic rope, are there other big highlights that you were involved in that you're proud of that took place or? Well, I've made contacts throughout the world with lots of fellow researchers and they've given me good ideas and I've brought them back to Oregon. Oh, nice. uh, right now, uh, I think we're at a point where the tethered logging machines and the uh, mechanized harvesting operations are gonna help us out a great deal. I'm not sure where it goes from there. Okay. And um, so do you see, do you see any kind of big challenges for people ahead right now? Mostly just human error or, you know, what are our... Well, I think the real problem is, is that there's a disconnect between the landowners who um, contract with the loggers and expect the loggers to do the safety part of it. Oh, okay. Um, and, some companies are good at, at requiring the contractors to do that. But in Washington state, they have a logging safety initiative that provides um, insurance benefits for those who work strongly on safety and who are participants in the, in the program. When it happens, there's usually a improvement in safety performance by the contractors. Well, that makes sense. But I have to leave it with you, this dreadful thought. The dreadful thought is that logging accidents are probabilistic. You can't foresee or reduce all of them. Yeah. And from my career as a uh, expert in logging, uh, cases dealing with uh, liability, there are some things that are just difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. And it's not 
the fault directly of uh, particular individuals, but it is something that can't be explained from safety performance issues. Okay. And so it's difficult. It's a difficult business. It's, it's hard work. Yeah. Fatigue plays a part. And uh, the idea that you can try to cut a corner or two for safety is still part of our industry. You can't do it, but people do it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think we're better off than we were, but we're not where we should be. Okay, that makes sense. Do you, um, for somebody who's younger, um, who's listening to this, um, do you think they might want to get into, you know, finding a safer way? Is there is there room at the universities for younger folks to get involved or? Well, I'll speak to all people who want to get involved in logging. Okay. Uh, the first answer is always have a hole, meaning that wherever you're at on a logging job, find a place that you could jump to, leap to, or whatever that's safer than where you're at. And then the other thing is when someone tells you that stay safe, take three more steps to a safer direction. Okay, that's great advice. And, you know, I've, I've had close calls myself uh, and that's the best thing I can say. Always have a whole three more steps. We wanna thank our sponsors, the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timberwest Magazine for making this podcast possible. And we wanna thank Dr. John Garland for taking time out to be part of Talking Timber. Until next time, take care.